Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to this deep dive episode on my interview with Michael Dean Dargy. Wow. Actually, <clears throat> after listening back to that interview, I thought, hmm, I'm going to have to make deep dives out of this episode. There's so much going on in these comments from Michael. And, you know, for me, that really is the point. You know, they, they say, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to do it. Counterintuitive? Maybe. But a busy person knows how to get stuff done. So, of course, they just make a plan. And so, I figure, if you want to know how to be more creative, ask a Michael Dean Dargy, who is doing so many different things, it sounds a bit mad or too dispersed to be of value. And yet, you get to these, these gems, this really firm understanding of what is required to generate ideas, and then, and this is of course the really important part, turn them into actual things. Anyway, so I'm just going to dive into a couple of things in this episode and see how far we get, because there really was so much. So the thing that I started off asking Michael was, you know, how do you move from idea to reality? I mean, he just does so much. I think most people have tons of ideas, but most people don't end up actually, you know, making them. And, and Michael's answer was really interesting. What he said was that, yeah, he's just got a huge amount of curiosity. He always wants to know, well, what happens next? What if I did this? Or what if I do that? You know, he said, maybe I haven't done this before, so I really want to try it out. And and the really fun example he gave was, was Death Metal Christmas Cat. Yeah which is just the craziest short film that he made with a couple of collaborators. And when Michael said this, it made me think of a social media theme that I, uh, meme that I saw about Pixar, where all of the plots of their movies are described as what if uh, 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 had feelings. So for example, what if toys had feelings? What if monsters had feelings? Uh, what if feelings had feelings? Three points if you can guess the titles of those films. But what strikes me about this is how simple the core is, right? It's all based around one what-if question. And yet, a range of wildly different movies have resulted. You know, what if is such a powerful question when deployed in this way? <clears throat> Not just what if this or that was true, but what if I did this? So what does make Michael different from a lot of people with cool, wild, and creative ideas is that he almost effortlessly and instinctively moves from the idea itself into doing something with it. You know, I always say that Nike has it wrong. Just do it is easy. Once you are doing, carrying on is often is not as hard as you thought. What is hard is starting. So these days, just start is my motto. Now, if you take great what-if questions 
and then just start doing anything, no matter how small, before you know it, all the small things will have snowballed into an actual thing, thing, a big thing. And this is where what if crashes smack into Kaizen or the theory of incremental gains. Now, Kaizen refers to ongoing or continuous improvement. In other words, to practice it, all you have to do is to do one task 1% better today than you did it yesterday. If you have up to three months of 1% here or 0.5% there, maybe 3% improvement here, exponentially, you have made a lot of gains. And basically, without using these words, this is what Michael practices. So he starts, he collaborates, he tries stuff out, then invites feedback. And each time, the idea contained in his what if grows and improves until, before long, hey presto, death metal poetry Christmas cat, one act play, advertising agency, band, etc., etc. It is so many cliches rolled into one. The journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. The 10,000 hours of mastery. They all revolve around the central idea that once you start and you aim at small improvements, things will grow. It's profound and so deadly simple. Why don't more of us do this? Why are we so easily discouraged by how small these gains are? or by the equally small setbacks? Why are we so set on our ideas of ourselves as fixed beings in terms of what we can and cannot do? All the science points to the fact that our brains are almost infinitely adaptable, as in brain plasticity. And yet, at some point in our lives, we cease changing, we stop growing. I'm beginning to realize that this is willful and not natural. It's not that we cannot help ourselves. It's that we are programmed to do so by our society. Patterns and predictability are incredibly important to the survival of human beings. But rigid structure is the death of us. If you look around you at our political world right now, you can see the results of this fixed mindset. We are right, you are wrong. There's only one way to do things. This God is better than your God. The truth is always much grayer than these bold claims. And the experienced reality is infinitely more nuanced. We have to expend significant energy to pretend otherwise. And we do. How creative is that? But creative in service of maintaining the status quo is a death sentence. What if we could do it differently? What would that look like? And then, most importantly, what can I do tomorrow which will take one small step in that direction? And then the next, and then the next, and then the next. Well, after that set me off on a tangent, I asked Michael to compare his process for the thrash metal Christmas cat with corporate advertising work. <laughs> 
His answer was really revealing. The only real difference he could put his finger on was time. The CAT project had no deadline or, or timeline and came together basically organically, while the corporate work takes place with what he describes as tighter guardrails. And then he says it, deadlines and restrictions make you more creative. <laughs> Michael describes it as a catalyst that forces you to boil down to the essence of your ideas faster and it shortens the meandering phase that he would probably go through if he didn't have a deadline. And then he says something else profound. Yes, it was one of those conversations. Under pressure, you have to make a decision. Own it, and then move forward with it, no matter where it takes, it takes you. And I think what happens all too often with creative projects is that we struggle to make decisions, and when we do, we revisit them continuously. But when you live a life of engaged creativity, it doesn't matter if that thing doesn't pan out, because you know you will be back again soon enough to make another thing. So the fact that this iteration didn't work as planned doesn't matter, as you know there will be another one. So once more, we get back to this idea that in order to be really creative, innovative, or inventive, what you have to do is have a routine or a habit. You have to be continuously circling back, knowing that you have more goes, more bites at the apple. When it's a one-off, a workshop or a one-time brainstorm, this stuff just doesn't deliver as well as when it's part of a continuous cycle of ideation, iteration, and recreation. You know, this is a theme that's starting to come out of a lot of the interviews that when you want to come up with a new answer to something that's different, you know, and by definition, therefore, something that is creative, it's very difficult to do that as a one-off, under the pump, on demand. But when you're a person who is often busy looking for patterns, looking for new answers, trying new stuff out, asking what if, and doing things differently, it is actually quite a lot easier to, in fact, do that on request and under the pump. And as Michael said, there, actually having a deadline is beneficial. Hmm. You know, the space is so familiar to highly creative people. The uncertainty, the... The, the unpredictability, the, the threateningness of it all, is that even a word? Um, that they're able to just carry on in that wilderness of indecision and ambiguity. Whereas people who are not practiced with this way of thinking, I think tend to lose their way. And then the pressure mounts, and what do they do? <clears throat> they pick the low-hanging fruit. And what do you get? Nothing of very much interest at all all. And so when you speak to someone like Michael Dean Dargy and you go through his CV or you go through his website and you see all the different things that he's done, you begin to understand that there is nothing random or scattergun or <clears throat> you know, frivolous about any of this. Um, quite the opposite, in fact. It always makes me think of that um, terrible English idiom, 
jack of all trades and master of none. As if having a wide set of interests is a really bad thing. What researchers and, and, and analysis, analysts into creativity have realized, though, is in fact, to be a jack of all trades is essential when you want to come up with new ideas. You know, if you are totally narrowly focused into your silo of speciality, your frame of reference is so narrow that it's really difficult to come up with anything new. And even if you did, which of course happens all the time, it makes absolutely no sense to anybody outside of that silo. So your adoption rate is really low and the impact of your new idea very limited. The most successful innovations are those which take general knowledge, freely available information, and tie it to new technology or new techniques, new ways of doing things. This has two big effects. One, whatever result seems a lot more familiar to the audience than something that's come out of a zone of speciality. Uh, and two, it provides a handle. It shortens the gap between where we are now and what is coming. Being a jack of all trades, if you're involved in innovation and change, to my mind, is essential. You can't run the risk of being too specialized and too laser focused. If you want the changes that you're proposing the new things that you are proposing to make sense and to be adopted by people outside of your silo. You've got to be more of a generalist, otherwise you're doomed. So, thanks for listening. This is my deep dive analysis of my conversation with Michael Dean Dargy. And um, trust me, there's a lot more going on in that conversation. I am considering doing a second deep dive and looking at the rest of our conversation. But literally in the first 10 minutes, these huge things just jumped out at me once I listened back to it. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Rebel, Reject, Create. Please follow me, uh, hit the like buttons, hit the subscribe button, share it with your friends. The more the merrier. I'm doing this because I really want more people to understand that being creative, dealing with change is not a highly specialized activity that belongs to people who have genius IQs or mad special skills, but rather it's extremely accessible to anybody who has a brain. So rebel against the status quo, reject your own bias and preconceptions and create the room for you to create new answers. I'll see you again next episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs>